Welcome to The Dialectic, a Fair Observer podcast by the Rajput and the Wasp. I'm Atul Singh, the founder, CEO and editor-in-chief of Fair Observer. I am the Rajput. And I'm Glenn Carl. I'm the Wasp. And we are here to, as Atul likes to say, make sense of the world. Well, and today, as we promised in our last episode, we will make sense of post-Brexit Britain. Now, Great Britain doesn't seem to be all that great anymore. In fact, Britain is in trouble. In 2016, David Cameron called a referendum and duly fell on his sword. He resigned. He's also had a financial scandal thereafter, so he's really persona non grata. Well... After him, Theresa May came to power and um, called a snap election. Jeremy Corbyn challenged her and nearly drove her out of power. And the rise of Jeremy Corbyn seemed irresistible until his fall, um, which happened with the rise of Boris Johnson. And then, of course, Boris Johnson himself fell thanks to losing two by-elections, I suppose, uh, his scandals might have contributed too, and some backstabbing helped as well. Anyway, so the rise and fall of Boris Johnson was followed by a short spell by Liz Truss as Prime Minister, who in the memory who Liz Truss. <laughs> oh, 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 that's right. I'd forgotten that about her. Uh, who, in the words of the Economist, had the shelf life of a lettuce. And now, of course, we have. Rishi Sunak, a former Goldman Sachs chap, um, a fellow who was head boy at Winchester College, did philosophy, politics and economics um, not uh, too long before me, uh, and uh, who's the first Hindu, the first Indian, the first person of colour as well to be in the hot seat, and uh, he's affectionately, and not so affectionately, called Dishi Rishi, Richie Rishi, and a host of other names, uh, Sunak the Snake, as Boris's friends would say. Anyway, so now we have Rishi Sunak on the hot seat. And over to you, Glenn. What do you make of all of this? Because you have um, 100% English genes. After all, you're a good, <laughs> nice Puritan boy. <laughs> well, well, there were there are some Norsemen also. There's, there's some Norse blood in there because, of course, the Vikings, you know, invaded. And so... Some of my ancestors go back to them too, as well as the French invasion. So I'm, I, I truly represent Great Britain and, and its moments of uh, cultural um, uh, expansion uh, from thousands of years ago. Gosh, it's uh, it's easy to uh, treat the the travails of uh, England as as farce and to be derisive and to laugh. And all of those things are uh, accurate and, and uh, deserved in some way. But of course, you know, farce is really tragedy with a, a grimace or a smile. Uh, and, and that's what's happening. We're, we're, we're watching the sort of the end of a 140 year decline. Things don't generally happen instantaneously in societies and states and and England has uh, its apex of power and influence is really probably about 1850. And the decline began probably about 1880. 
with Germany's rise and then America's supplanting uh, Great Britain. <clears throat> so here we have uh, it's these leaders who you know twist and turn and and uh, backstab and and primp <clears throat> and uh, really I'll, I'll be a Marxist again for a moment. You know they are sort of the superstructure politically uh, acting upon uh, deeper. Uh, social, economic, and international forces that are returning finally uh, England to its um, more natural place in the grand scheme of things. <clears throat> I'm not completely a determinist, but size is important, and a nation of 70 million uh, is a middle sized uh, power. On top of that, <clears throat> uh, England has made a, a number of avoidable mistakes, uh, which have given us the, the uh, pleasure of watching politicians make fools of themselves. And, and I think Boris Johnson perhaps is the, the best example of <clears throat> what has done England in, and England has done a lot of itself in, uh, with the, the, the fundamental clownishness, unseriousness, uh, superficial, supercilious narcissism of uh, a, a witty, intelligent, unprincipled um, charlatan. And, and that's uh, not what has caused the problem, but rather is a symptom of, of deeper uh, stresses it, it, to which England is not, uh, about which England is not alone or unique. It, it, we have to be fair. The things that have brought England to this impasse are, are ob quite obviously roiling uh, the United States and, and most uh, advanced uh, democracies. Well, um, England uh, or, or, or Britain is going through a political instability worthy of Italy. And in the words of a dear friend, uh, who's obviously British, uh, he said, uh, living in um, England today or Britain today is like watching the Romans turn into Italians. So we have... Uh, now an unending knife fight in the Tory party. Rishi is on top for now. It's highly unlikely he will continue after two years. Um, the Labour Party seems set to take over after two years, but, and here's a big but, they too have deep schisms. They have not resolved who they are. Who is Labour? The current budget that the Tory party came out with could very well have been a Labour budget too. Are they Corbynites or are they Blairites? And that civil war shall continue. The Liberal Democrats um, stand eviscerated. Their uh, former Deputy Prime Minister has now become uh, Mark Zuckerberg's lackey. And of course, uh, whilst oh Wales... <laughs> we are talking of Nick Clegg, of course. The good-looking multilingual Nick Clegg. Well, uh, and of course, there are uh, uh, tensions between England and Scotland. Uh, in, in Wales, of course, you see mainly Labour and Tory MPs. But Scotland uh, now has the Scottish National Party firmly in the ascendant. And they are very much in power in Holyrood which is not quite Hollywood for our American listeners. <laughs> it is it's a slightly yes. more picturesque place than Hollywood. Well, 30% of America might have heard of it as something near a Trump golf course, I suppose. Ah, yes, that's true. 
Uh, I mean, Trump may buy all of Scotland one day. Who knows if he can get away from his legal troubles, that is. Yeah. Well, it's hard to know. um, It's hard to avoid uh, focusing on the the uh, froth is an unfair word uh, on the turmoil of the parties and even the constituent parts of of England. and you, you didn't touch upon what I think we'll probably get to uh, speak about it some length, I would think, is the social and, and uh, actually geographic north-south tensions um, that uh, have given us uh, Brexit and are at the root of many of these tensions. And uh, a symbol of which actually is the current prime minister, because you know, many of my English uh, associates... Um, uh, would uh, I know uh, not specifically about him, but about an Englishman like him, uh, have uh, recoiled as being the whole reason England is falling apart, that England is no longer England, however anglicized and purely English uh, Sunak may be. And I think fundamentally that gets us to the part of the social and then leads us toward the economic tensions that have emerged um, and are part cause and part effect of the struggles England is dealing with. Yeah, I mean, Glenn, you're probably referring to your friends who are older and perhaps to a caller who called into uh, a television station and said, well, he doesn't quite think Rishi Sunak is entirely English. And the reason for for him... um, The reasons for him were very simple. He thought that... uh, Rishi belonged to a globalized elite. Rishi had worked in Goldman Sachs. Uh, He had uh, spent time in the US. He had retained a green card. He had married an Indian who's now turned into Indian American. Her her father, of course, um, runs Infosys. And uh, but all you're you're being very civilized. All those are are completely uh, potentially legitimate reasons to be wary of someone as, as one's uh, representative. It, it's, it's a racial uh, issue is what I'm, I'm aware of. Yeah, that, that's, what the, that's what the moderator, uh, who I think was British India, made it out to be. But uh, he was framing it um, as, as a globalist versus nationalist phenomenon. And um, the membership of the Tory party would have preferred Boris. And in some ways, Rishi has come to the fore because Britain is going through a financial crisis. The loss due to Brexit is estimated to be minus 1.2 to minus 4.5% of the economy. Um, This is as per the Peterson Institute in Washington, D.C. The UK economy as a whole has been permanently damaged by Brexit as per Michael Saunders. If if I I might just jump in on that, the the 1.2 to 4.5%, I'm confident that is not referring that does not refer to a, a one-time decline from year, one year on to the next but the change in the trajectory of growth uh, slower so that cumulatively uh, England Great Britain will slip ever further behind what it otherwise would have been uh, would have uh, attained and uh, relative to other nations so it, it, it is a uh, a lasting cumulative decline. So, so this is a hit to the GDP. This is a one time, but it is also 
the study goes on to argue that uh, the, the growth trajectory will be lower because Britain has, doesn't have the same, um, the same uh, uh, access to the free trade area of Europe, and that remains its biggest trading partner. And um, Liz Truss's economics, which was spend more, tax less, ended up in a free fall of the pound. And therefore, as has happened um, in other parts of Europe, especially perhaps Italy, where Mario Draghi was the prime minister to steer the economy on the straight and narrow, in comes another Goldman Sachs boy, a man who ran a hedge fund, a man who is a multi-billionaire and trusted by the markets as prime minister. So in a way, Rishi, uh, who, who on, on the one hand is as unconventional as you can get a practicing Hindu, Indian, and his neither his race nor his religion were really issues for the Tory party, uh, at least in parliament. The MPs didn't make any issue of it. After all, they saw him as a Winchester boy, a head boy, no less, mm -hmm. um, which is uh, a, a school of hundreds of years old. And um, and then the PPS from Oxford, and they saw it, his it, success as a marker of competence. Yeah. Um, and and I'm, I must say that of, of all the, I, I've interacted, of course, as we all do, uh, with people from all different schools, and a number of times in my lifetime, professionally and, and, and personally, I have come to know a bit uh, graduates of Winchester. Oh, and it's, it's Winchester or Wentz, Westminster? Oh, well, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Westminster. Yeah. Uh, pardon me, Westminster, yeah. Westminster. Yeah. Uh, mistake. Um, Westminster. And of all the uh, schools uh, that I have ever seen graduates come from, uh, it has consistently impressed me as a an incredible, spectacular school. But that's Westminster, Glenn. That's not Winchester. Yes. But still, oh, Winchester. I, okay, I'm, I'm totally botching it up. Okay. Yeah. So, so no worries. But Winchester is a very good school. It's an extraordinary school. Some of my very dear friends went to Winchester. Someone I know called Richard Kenny went there and he's absolutely smashingly brilliant and very well trained. So Wickhamist, as they are called, William of Wickham set up Winchester in 1382. <laughs> and uh, it is one of those extraordinarily um, high powered schools. And it has produced uh, some prime ministers in the past. It, it's just been a long, long time since anyone from uh, Winchester made it to the top. But the point uh, I'm getting at is that, yeah, on the one hand, um, Rishi is as new as it gets, but in some ways uh, he is plus ça change, plus c'est la même chose. The more things change, the more they remain the same. He's, after all, a public school boy. He is someone who um, rose to power under the patronage of David Cameron, then backstabbed David Cameron during the Brexit referendum. He campaigned for Brexit. Then he hitched his star um, to Boris. Boris plucked him out of relative obscurity. And he, he was always uh, Mr. Goody Two-Shoes in the sense he kept his uh, nose clean and waited for the opportune moment, and um, and in the eyes of many, he then um, backstabbed uh, Boris uh, to make it to the top. Now, Boris himself, Boris himself has backstabbed many, <laughs> many people, so there are no tears shed for Boris. But Rishi is, is cut from the same cloth. Uh, 
as a friend of mine in the Labour Party, who who uh, who is Indian, put it. He said, you know, it's lovely that an Indian is prime minister, but I wish it wasn't this backstabbing bastard. <laughs> well, I don't know if we can, uh, if I will um, condemn him for being a backstabbing bastard, although he may well be. Uh, I'll accept the accuracy of that. I'm, I'm not a particular fan of his. But... I don't accept the accuracy of it. I'm just uh, yeah. relaying yes, yes. reflecting public sentiment. I, 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 I have no reason to comment uh, yeah. on his character. No, I, I, I do think that he, he is almost a, a poster child, however, for um, what are the <clears throat> uh, underlying uh, tensions that uh, have... Um, so damaged the political process in uh, Great Britain and that are uh, causing the country to, to go astray. And, and the issues may not be uh, solvable uh, and they confront many other countries too, but are particularly acute in England. And, and I can think of a half dozen critical tensions, all of which um, uh, Sunak uh, embodies represents really. You have, you know, why did we have Brexit and why is, why are there there tensions in the political class and so on? You have the uh, fundamentally a, a country city, a rural uh, urban elite uh, tension uh, with uh, different interests. The uh, the rural areas feeling the less uh, advanced economically uh, and technologically and so on parts of the economy and society feeling left behind and uh, done uh, to. Uh, this plays out in many ways in England, geographically, between the north and the south. Mm -hmm. uh, the south being uh, far more uh, integrated uh, to the global economy, uh, more highly educated, far more prosperous. Uh, the south, again, feeling left behind and, and uh, um, overlorded. You have, uh, on top of that, a critical issue a social one, you have the tensions between the uh, uh, English who view themselves as real Englishmen who look like me and who have my uh, gene pool versus the immigrant uh, New England that uh, Sunak obviously uh, represents and their resentments in any number. I, I don't associate with particularly conservative uh, social circles uh, uh, when I go to England, but I heard any number of times over the past 40 years, uh, flippant offhand comments, unguarded comments about all of the packies and and the wogs begin at Calais um, and uh, things of this sort. Clearly, uh, the social tensions due to increasing ethnic uh, diversity in England, which is the first time ever for, for England. Then you have the uh, globalized elite, and, uh, again, of the South and of the educated uh, more so fundamentally, Glenn, you're talking about the strains of globalization and a multi-ethnic society. You're saying Absolutely. that these are the oh, yeah. two major drivers that have led to Brexit. And now what? And, and uh, overlaid on the, the classic Tory uh, versus Labour, the, uh, you know, the uh, upper class versus the working class uh, tensions that uh, all societies have, but England uh, quite Particularly, yeah, so but, one but, striking thing for Americans going to uh, to England or to Europe are the uh, still shocking um, class uh, divisions. Uh, not that America doesn't have them, but they're far more acute uh, there. 
And all of these things have come to our uh, 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 tearing England apart, or if not tearing it apart, holding it back. But here's the thing. Uh, the counter-argument to that, very simply, is that um, Britain is not quite as divided when it comes to race as the U.S. today. Britain is now experiencing a, a change in fortunes, for instance. Uh, I don't know if you read uh, uh, this uh, this chap um, uh, in Bloomberg, uh, who's an Englishman, and Adrian Wooldridge, the former uh, economist editor, and he talks about how the rising middle classes in the minorities, um, look at the Indians in particular, Sunak's parents, Rishi Sunak's parents, both his parents were part of the health service. His father was um, a doctor in the National Health Service. His mother ran a pharmacy. And if you look at uh, the previous uh, chancellor, uh, Kwasi Kwarteng, he was of Kenyan origin, if you look at most people running for office, or quite a large number of people running for office in the Tory party, they were minorities. So Britain is not like the US. You don't have to be white. You don't have to be a Christian even. Uh, you can still make a dash for the top job in the Tory party. This is a tremendous <clears throat> change. Uh, yeah, so, no, so, I, I, so, I think, yeah. So race is not that important a factor in some ways in lots of circles. No, I, I'm afraid I, I, I don't agree. Uh, I, I think we're seeing the, exactly the same uh, issues occurring in Great Britain as in the United States with a key difference, which is that the original sin, the, the endless founding division and problem issue for the United States has always been the issue of race. Uh, we were born with a compromise. We could only be born making a compromise about slavery. Mm -hmm. And uh, and the Civil War remains uh, real today. However, the change of America from the America that I grew up in uh, now 60 years ago uh, to the America of today is it, it's an almost unrecognizable society and country today in, in fundamentally good ways. You do. We've had we have a Catholic president. It's only the second. We have an, an Indian black female vice president. We had uh, a black president. Uh, there are now on the media, just to give one example, I won't go Yeah, but they are all from the Democratic Party. We are talking well, of the Tory that's, party. That's, that's, we, are, we are talking of yeah, both Labour that's and the, Tory. That's part of, it's a big difference. That doesn't un, undo, undo the, the argument, though, I think, that the Republicans have become the party of the shrinking, power declining, um, increasingly uh, agonized and, and fearful uh, white uh, uh, soon to be minority, actually, literally minority. But the changes and the progress, uh, all of the indices for American society show phenomenal progress. But it only takes I mean, one person on a team to, to change the tenor of the, of the locker room, and 30% and of America doesn't happy. Similarly, yeah, but the, I would but argue, here's, here's this is thing. what's happening in Great Britain, but it's only the but England has only had now 60 years of, of um, experience with dealing with this increasing uh, diversity. Um, and yes, Sunak represents the success, but he also embodies the reason there are divisions. Perhaps, but here's the, the important fact. Uh, Britain has had three women prime ministers 
and one person of color as prime minister, all from the Conservative Party. So you cannot compare it exactly to America. It's a different kettle of fish. And if you go to the south of England in particular, uh, very few societies anywhere in the world have successfully created a multiracial, multicultural society as the UK. So I think um, it, it will be unfair to Great Britain, um, which may not be so great anymore, but it's certainly far more tolerant, open, um, interesting um, than it was 30 years ago. There is no rivers of blood true. speech like Enoch Powell. There is no character um, like Donald Trump. Even, for instance, uh, Boris Johnson, he declared during the Brexit campaign, of course, he himself has Turkish heritage, and he proudly uh, displayed that for everyone. And he said that he was, a, he was in favor for an amnesty for uh, immigrants. So I think it's a, it's a different, of course, there were, there were tensions, there are tensions about class, there are tensions about race, but they pale into insignificance when compared to, for instance, not just the US, but also Germany. There is uh, no Rishi Sunak in sight in Germany or France. Uh, uh, gosh, or I, Italy. I think that you're, yeah, I, I, I'm not there. Uh, I, I, I think you're waving the British flag, Anglophile as I am, um, uh, a little too, uh, too vigorously. Uh, I find that a big part of Brexit, a big part of the uh, social tensions is that the people in the North, just to choose one place stereotypically, um, were exasperated and then reacted progressively hostilely to the fact that anyone who came to repair their pipes or paint their homes was from Poland or Ukraine. But that's uh, not a race much, thing. Much less, that's pa not a race much thing. less Pakistan or uh, India. That's not a race thing. Glenn. Well, that, is, class that becomes and an ethnicity. Are, class, race, and immigration are, are and culture are all interwoven here. Yeah, yeah, but but again, I mean, that's where Britain is different. There's also, I, I, I would, I would add that Britain does not look upon the EU with the same memory as Europe does. Britain has had continuous democracy. Britain still had very strong links, even until the sixties, to the Commonwealth. In fact, ninety percent of the letters coming to an English village used to come from the English-speaking dominions, and that included the U.S. because that is where your relatives immigrated to. And Britain never quite had the pull towards the continent in the same way the rest of the continent did. After all, you could trace it all back to Henry VIII. Uh, the Church of England began, um, and it uh, was its own little island before it became an empire. And you could argue that um, who is Boris but a latter-day Henry VIII uh, with the same appetite and sexual appetite of that portly old king? Well, I think this is, we've sketched two different, uh, or differing anyway, um, Patch, uh, patchwork uh, underlays for for the what has led to the political crises uh, in England. <clears throat> uh, what do they respectively then imply for uh, the current situation and and the future? For for me, uh, I, I would argue. I, I hope that it's not a one size fits all um, uh, perspective, but that <clears throat> England is facing and has and is struggling with, as is the United States and France and Germany, 
an, an existential issue, uh, which is how can the UK adapt to globalization, um, become a uh, multi-ethnic society. I don't think that Sunak's the sign of the triumph. I think that he's partially that, but also uh, part of the reason why you have um, you had Brexit. <clears throat> um, and, and what does that then imply the UK will become and where does it go? It's, it's sort of declared independence, sort of, it has declared independence from Europe. Uh, is that viable? I, I am deeply skeptical <clears throat> that a middling sized country is wise to try to go it alone when it can leverage its uh, power in a, in a larger entity. Um, I'm, I'm a strong proponent of, of the EU for all of its members. Uh, or uh, are these just uh, the day-to-day the -day challenges of a, of a political system and democracy as, uh, I, I don't mean to mischaracterize, but I sense you're sort of uh, uh, going towards in, in your explanation. No, no, I'm being, uh, I'm being open-eyed about uh, the reasons why and the consequences of. I'm not glamorizing or, or giving the UK a pass. Uh, the Organization of Economic Cooperation and Development has just come out, and this was 20 years ago on the BBC, that it has just come out uh, uh, with the prediction that uh, the UK will contract more than any other nation in the G7 group next year. So as far as the economy goes, the economy is uh, down the toilet. It is uh, in disarray. UK is chasing free trade deals with all sorts of countries, including the jewel in the crown, its former colony, India. And for all the seductive charm of Boris Johnson, it has helped him uh, greatly in producing many legitimate and illegitimate children, but it didn't quite help him uh, sign a trade deal with, with India. And so the UK um, is struggling economically. Um, taxes are invariably going to go up. Spending is going to go down. Um, the Tories are not going to be popular. Uh, the Sunak, uh, you know, sorry, Rishi Sunak, even less so. Um, the big question for Britain is what sort of country will it become? And as a small, uh, middle-sized country, on the one hand, it has been very active in Ukraine. So Britain continues to be a country that does well in the defense, uh, intelligence, and diplomacy fields. Uh, they have a historic advantage, a historic legacy of the empire. You and I have discussed for a long time how the MI6 can be, in many ways, much better than the CIA, and they'll always have our man in Havana. Uh, <laughs> so they are good at certain things. Uh, they, they, their universities are all, are all right. They're inventive lot. Uh, they have libraries and parks. So they're not going to become Burundi, your favorite other favorite country tomorrow. Uh, but um, they have aspirations to play a much bigger role than that. In fact, Britain came partly out of um, nostalgia for empire. Uh, Boris had this idea of global Britain. And for Britain to be global is going to be increasingly difficult. Britain can be European in a security realm, but for Britain to be global without being part of the EU uh, is likely to be extremely difficult. And then the question that Britain is also going to face is 
what sort of society will it be? Will it be a society that is extremely elitist, wherein only public school boys will rise to the top, and uh, where ladders of social mobility shall be few and far between? And uh, now that Labour Party, ironically, decimated grammar schools, which basically were the schools that provided um, uh, social mobility. For those uh, who are American, public schools don't really mean schools run by the government. They are schools set up in 1385 or 1453 or 1543, or whichever date you can pick, um, uh, to educate the elite um, off the land. And um, they cost an arm and a leg. And if you don't go to one of these schools, it is extremely difficult to rise up in British society. And um, the universities, both of them, um, I know I went to Oxford, but uh, in England, uh, we are very, uh, or not, I'm not English, but in England, uh, most of the English are very ecumenical. They include both Oxford and Cambridge. After all, there is the uh, the Oxford and Cambridge Club as the great universities and the high positions of all walks of life are held by generally by people in these two universities. Uh, unless, of course, uh, you're a great football player or a, or a pop star or a rock star. Uh, but the point is that uh, class uh, as a dividing factor and social mobility are also going to be important. The cost of living crisis demonstrates that, if nothing else. And, and then there is the question about uh, Britain once again having somebody from Goldman Sachs. And Glenn, you take a very strong view of this. You say no one from Goldman Sachs uh, should be in political office because the values, focus uh, and framework, their values, focus and framework are not compatible with public service. Uh, but anyway, the point is yeah, Britain also has succumbed to the American uh, uh, fascination for MBAs, a uh, Stanford MBA from Goldman Sachs who came comes from a hedge fund is now a top boss. So, so what sort of society is Britain headed for? That is the critical question uh, now in the post-Brexit era. It, well, it really, not just in the post-Brexit era, I, I think this has been the issue with capital T and capital I for England, certainly since uh, 1945 and even before, you know, Churchill, much as I admire him, uh, was clearly uh, two generations behind the issues of his time with regard to uh, the empire and in particular uh, uh, India. Um, maybe it's too much to ask of a person to see beyond his time, but I think he was looking backward, great as he was. Um, and But the issues today are, are more or less the same, except that England is less now than it was uh, then. Uh, it's what, what role can, can England play? And just as the issue is for the United States now, how do we respond to the rise of China? Those on the right um, have argued, I, I know for a fact, uh, well, we have to keep China from rising. Uh, our del delusioned, delusional, uh, it's, that's an insane uh, self-destructive objective because it is impossible to uh, stop the rise of China. Or even if it were possible, the cost would be so high and the, the world that that would create would be so catastrophic uh, from every value that I think most all of us listening and, and I speaking uh, hold as to be uh, uh, a nightmarish. Uh, so what does the United States do? The United States, that doesn't mean you just roll over and say, okay, well, China should, you know, can make all the decisions now. 
but you have to, there are some tectonic shifts in society, international relations, economic power, and technological advance, and so on, that uh, one has to adjust to, just as we can't be King Canute and tell the tide not to rise. <sighs> Similarly, for uh, Great Britain, this has been the issue for generations, and, and it's even more acute now. Uh, and I argue it's the, the acuteness has increased because not of the continued relative decline in, in global strength of the UK, which is not the UK's fault. It doesn't mean decline. It means others have risen uh, in that regard. But because of the uh, added stresses from, having, from becoming a multi-ethnic open society in a way that, that uh, societies are now in globalization and England never was. And I think the choices um, are either one adjusts to the realities, which means to be a dynamic, open, uh, integrated uh, society that can then leverage associations, and I'm referring to the EU, in a way to increase influence, or one can try to stand alone. And the model that Johnson apparently had in mind was making England a, a greater Switzerland. Uh, or what I would say is that the choice that Johnson and the Brexiteers uh, make, and Eng some factions of England uh, have made for, for decades, would turn them into the Amish, uh, where they uh, can live as they wish, but are isolated, and uh, they're still driving horses and uh, buggies instead of uh, the space shuttle. Uh, I think that's fundamentally the, the choice. And uh, England, for the moment, has chosen to become the Amish. No, I, I, I don't know, Glenn, if I entirely agree. Of course, Glenn, uh, we must remember that Boris Johnson himself probably didn't believe in Brexit. He thought he would, uh, he would run um, the uh, Leave campaign, lose gallantly, and then become prime minister. Uh, I... I personally think what uh, happened in Brexit was people knew that they didn't quite like the status quo, but they didn't know what they want. And so some people were imagining that, oh, there would be labor protection. Some other people were imagining that there would be global Britain. Remember, Jeremy Corbyn himself wasn't particularly pro-EU. He didn't bend his back into the Remain campaign. And so there were unresolved tensions and they were not all to do um, with just um, uh, multi-ethnic society because a lot of the immigration has come from India and Pakistan. I think they were to do also with the fact that there was huge discontent with the political class that was seen as smug, self-serving. Um, Cameron, for instance, uh, Someone described Cameron, a Don at Oxford described Cameron very accurately to, to me. Yeah, he had taught Cameron. So I asked him, what do you think of David? And he said, extremely clever, but exceedingly mendacious. Yeah. Oh, they're cynics, no question. And, but and, I, I and think hold, fire, hold fire. My point is that mendacity meant that a lot of angry people, including a lot of Indians, uh, voted, uh, Indian British Indians voted for Brexit. They voted leave. And a lot of that vote was a vote of anger. The left behinds, or as a friend of mine in London said, the swamp monsters came out to vote. And so all these left behinds and swamp monsters uh, cast Britain out. And whilst, yes, uh, Britain uh, is out of a trade deal at the same time, 
uh, Britain is still an extraordinary, extraordinarily engaged uh, country in, by many lights. In Ukraine, they have been extremely active, unlike a lot of the other European countries. Uh, Britain it, is as, trying once to... again, active only possible because they uh, find it wise or useful to follow in America's wake. But were America not doing it, they couldn't. They couldn't sure, do it at all. Absolutely, they'd, they'd but, be but a they are trying floating for... in the ocean. Yeah, they, they are all absolutely trying for trade deals. The problem is that they don't have the size and they have to negotiate them well. As part of the EU, they were the best negotiators for Europe. It was in some ways a win-win uh, for both Europe and Britain. Uh, the, cha the, the challenge um, for, for Britain is, uh, is, uh, is to negotiate a new future. But having said that, the EU itself is under tremendous strain and the EU itself is not necessarily going to survive. The tensions within the Eurozone are enormous. The Euro is not an optimal currency area. Um, Italy's debts are far too high for Germany to subsidize forever or to bail out forever. Germany could bail out Greece, but with Giorgia Meloni in charge and populists on the rise across Europe, there's no guarantee that the European experiment will hold. And if the European experiment itself um, dissolves or crumbles or fades away, in Prospero's words in The Tempest, uh, like this insubstantial, insubstantial pageant, leaving not a uh, rack behind, uh, I'm horribly mangling the words, but, but the point is, if the EU itself uh, crumbles, then uh, the British will look wise in retrospect without being wise. At well, yeah, I don't think so. I mean, I, if, if one doesn't engage, then others will make decisions for you and, and impose them upon you. And, and that's, 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 I think, really the, the option. I think fundamentally, uh, we, had, we have the current circumstance because the English, uh, enough English, particularly those in the north who were not benefiting from the city, from London, from globalization, uh, or didn't perceive that they were, feel that they were. Um, uh, they, they probably weren't. They were, there, there was very they, little redistribution. Right. The north was right. neglected. The, the, the yeah, south they, prospered. But as we said, it didn't have the noblesse oblige to share the spoils. The yeah. city of yeah, London they, they, made they, hay they, they when the sun was shining, but didn't spread the riches. Yeah. You know, they, they don't want to have to hear Polish when they're their toilet is being repaired, or drink uh, beer uh, measured in the milliliters instead of a pint. And that's fundamentally it. Um, but the choice, what are the consequences now that, that uh, you know, you can, you can play in the game and affect the rules that affect you, or you can stand aside uh, and someone else will shape the game that you have, then have to uh, conform to. And, and and do you think uh, do you think Britain could break apart? Do you think uh, Scotland could? I go did. Uh, I did go at, to at the beginning of Brexit, and and now I've I've come to feel uh, less that that is less likely. I mm -hmm. I, I don't think that uh, Scotland uh, will. It's always finally divided, and and probably uh, I think will not. It will continue to muddle along. Uh, I, I'm less, uh, or I think it's more likely, more possible, if not likely, that uh, Northern Ireland could, uh, could revert to uh, 
be Ireland to, to but they are the Irish don't want them none of my Irish friends <laughs> want Northern Ireland imagine the amount of money oh they'd God. have to spend on peacekeeping they don't have uh, right they don't have yeah, well, a proper a army all they, all, all they have a, is a, is the police so I don't yeah. think there is much risk of that I mean it would it could lead to a tricky situation where the Northern Irish to vote to join Ireland then Ireland would say well thanks yeah. but no thanks I think that's a, that's an important point. Uh, that's uh, yet more muddle. Uh, so I'll, I'll say two things. I, I think so. What does all of this this muddle add, add up to? And, and uh, of course, no one really can can see the future. But uh, clearly, um, I I find the choices that uh, England has stumbled into, if not consciously made, to be um, cumulatively disastrous for Great Britain. You know, I've said elsewhere that England has declared itself an inconsequential rock somewhere off the coast of Europe, um, and progressively. And, and, and I don't accept this uh, John's, you know, Johnsonian idol uh, of uh, going, you know, into the wonderful international uh, uh, agreements and, and power as uh, particularly likely. Future. I think that you'll see, I think we already are seeing that with Brexit, one of England's great strengths, which is the city, the that London remained one of the two financial centers of the world, um, is progressively going to fade uh, as um, companies and financial institutions move to Frankfurt and Paris uh, and Shanghai. Uh, and so I, I don't think that it's Singapore, perhaps not Shanghai. Shanghai and uh, Singapore. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, yes. Uh, good point. And um, Xi Jinping is not such an attractive proposition. <laughs> no, no, he is not. So I, I think that England, um, even if it tries nobly uh, to pursue this path, is going to find itself uh, disappointed with the influence that it will not be able to uh, attain. It, it can continue to to play, you know, to ply in the wake of. The great power, uh, great powers, uh, like it's doing in Ukraine, and that could be useful from uh, a number of perspectives. But that's not particularly uh, uh, independence uh, of action. And then you you commented about what I think about Goldman Sachs, and it's it's a half uh, serious but but half serious point, which is that um, Western democracies, at least the United States and Great Britain have seen truly a, a large number of uh, senior government officials, usually in the Treasury and finance, who come uh, out of Goldman Sachs, or if not Goldman Sachs, certainly the venture capitalist financial services industries. And they have many skills, uh, but I have always felt, and here I will you know, uh, reveal, uh, expose the, that uh, I, I am a lifelong civil servant, uh, that people, uh, the this uh, uh, common wisdom that business people uh, have skills that government civil servants do not and therefore should be actually making the decisions because they know how to run things is almost completely wrong. Uh, that's like saying that because I was a good hockey player, uh, you should put me in to play uh, football. Well, no, it's a totally different universe. And I, I'm not a good football player because I was a good hockey player, nor is a good businessman and the skills and focus and framework that one needs and develops for that 
necessarily a good political figure. And, and I find that they, that uh, these uh, Goldman Sachs folks, um, not because they're from Goldman Sachs particularly, uh, tend to have a narrower uh, balance sheet uh, approach that doesn't incorporate a sensitivity to awareness of um, the social complexities and murkiness that is required uh, for dealing effectively in political life, where you have to deal with a drug addict and a uh, CEO uh, simultaneously and uh, try somehow to find a way forward for both. On that note, uh, we've come to the end of our time. Britain will still remain a perfectly pleasant place. A lot of uh, Indian billionaires and uh, Saudi sheikhs are going to buy property in Kensington and Hampstead. Um, they will send their children to Eton and Harrow and Westminster and Winchester. And one of those children might even be prime minister. So all's <laughs> not lost for Britain. There's hope yet. The British Library will remain a wonderful place full of intellectuals with great books. Oxford and Cambridge shall remain phenomenal universities churning out innovation. Uh, uh, so Britain shall remain a middle ranking power. The sun will set ever so gloriously, ever so pleasantly on the green, blessed green isle of this island nation. On that note, uh, it is bye from now from the Rajput. And the more cynical wasp. All right. Until next time.